Well, I, for one, cannot wait for all the coverage of Donald Trump's motorcade. Driving to the airport, driving from the airport to the D.C. Uh, courthouse, from the D.C. courthouse back to the airport. It's just going to be hours and hours of watching Donald Trump's motorcade uh, driving on the freeway because, uh, as we know, he's expected in said D.C. courtroom today uh, at 4 o'clock to face those four counts of uh, trying to overturn the election that special counsel Jack Smith uh, has handed down the indictment for. And uh, we've seen this a few times. There's not much fanfare. Um, it's going to be a private entrance, private exit. Uh, there'll be a brief hearing where, where where former President Trump is expected to plead not guilty. Not sure if he's going to stop at a bakery uh, on the way home and have a group of people sing happy birthday to him this time. Uh, probably because it's not his birthday, but uh, it will be uh, interesting to watch, I guess. As interesting as pain as as pain drying. Uh, by the way, um, I almost missed the story about uh, Fitch. They're the uh, uh, credit rating service. They downgraded the U.S.'s uh, credit rating yesterday from AAA, uh, which is the highest possible, down to AA. Officially, they said um, uh, it was a uh, because of a steady deterioration in standards and governance and fiscal deterioration over the next three years. Um, Essentially, what what it was is, um, you know, uh, the legislature can't really work together. Um, So that uh, last minute debt ceiling deal really uh, made the United States look back bad in Fitch's eyes. But uh, also what wasn't in the official report is that January 6th also played a role in this. Obviously, it wasn't the main reason, because if it was, they would have done it sooner. But, you know, taken uh, into account uh, the legislative turmoil and the the late deal on the debt ceiling, January 6th is kind of what put them over the edge. And Richard Francis, who's a senior director at Fitch, told Reuters that, uh, quote, you have the debt ceiling, you have January 6th. Clearly, if you look at the polarization with both parties. The Democrats have gone further left, Republicans further right. So the middle is kind of falling apart, basically. And there's nothing more objective and bipartisan than the almighty dollar. Um, 150,000 Macomb County and and some Oakland County residents out in Chesterfield, Macomb Township, New Haven, uh, Lenox, and eastern parts of Rochester. They're still under that boil water advisory after that huge water main break, uh, 24 mile in North Avenue Tuesday. Um, they did some preliminary tests yesterday afternoon, and, and the tests came back uh, that the water was safe for human con- consumption. Uh, but uh, the GLWA, Great Lakes Water Authority, uh, they need two clean tests in a 24-hour period to give the all clear. Um, so if all goes well, that advisory is expected to be lifted late last uh, late this afternoon. And then me- meanwhile, on the complete other side of the Metro Detroit area, um, the city of Wayne, nine houses have tested positive for elevated levels of lead in their drinking water. The Wayne uh, Department of Public Works, they sampled 60 homes for lead and copper late last month. And uh, nine houses came back as having 15 parts per billion of lead, which qualifies as action level. Um, the city is offering lead reduced fil- lead reducing filters and cartridges uh, to houses with children or expecting mothers. And that's at their Department of Public Works building on Forest Avenue. And they're going to continue to sample 16 random sites every six months 
um, to keep an eye on this lead in the water situation. Uh, A judge's ruling on child custody leads to gunfire out in East Point. Fox's Susie Guzman has the story. Disappointment during a custody dispute is not unusual, but it rarely leads to this. Police say after a Macomb County, Michigan judge's ruling, the family members who were disappointed follow those who got the more favorable decision and fired into their car, causing the driver to slam into a bar. Cops say some shots went wild, blowing out windows of businesses. One person was shot in the arm and hospitalized. Another's head was grazed by a bullet. The suspect sped away, but was tracked by a state police helicopter and was eventually arrested. Sue Guzman, Fox News. UAW President Sean Fain uh, revealed their members' demands on a Facebook live stream earlier this week. Uh, A list of 10 requests they are asking for in this round of contract negotiations uh, with the big three. Some people are calling them the the Detroit three now because I guess uh, maybe Toyota or Honda has displaced one of them in the the big three. But... uh, some of the things they're asking for, a 32-hour work week, that, that was kind of the big one everyone's talking about. Uh, they want to end the multi-tiered wage system, which was a big sticking point back in the UPS um, negotiations. Double-digit pay raises, cost of living increases. They want to find benefit pensions for, for everybody. And uh, they also want to bring back retirees' health coverage. Um, this is... I don't know if this is new or this is something they're bringing back. They're also requesting to pay workers for doing community service if their plant closes. Pardon me. And they want to bring back the jobs bank, which from what I understand, um, if somebody's job is eliminated at a plant or something, they would still get paid to do odd jobs around the company until um, until another full-time job um, was found for them and that was eliminated back in 2009 uh sean fain told the members on the live stream that record profits means record contracts and he also said i know these demands sound ambitious but i also know that the big three can afford them uh warren mayor jim fouts he's filed a federal lawsuit in hopes of getting his name on the ballot uh with that city's primary scheduled for for last week back in 2020 uh warren voters actually approved term limits for mayor capping their tenure in office to uh, three four-year terms. And Mayor Fouts, he was grandfathered in because the measure was passed at the beginning of his fourth term. So he's already one term past the uh, um, uh, the uh, the new term limits that were passed back in 2020. Uh, Mayor Fouts has taken his quest for a fifth term to both the state Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals, uh, which, were, which he was rejected at, at both levels. Um, And he says that the term limits should not apply to him because they took effect while he was already in office. He's asking the federal court to allow a special election to put him on the ballot and is seeking damages for Warren City Council. Uh, Parker Mosier on my board this morning. Are you are you uh, for or against term limits? Um, In general, I think I'm for term limits. Like I get the arguments on both sides. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're against term limits it's you should be able to if you have a good leader you should be able to elect him as many times as you want because if they're good you want them to stay mm-hmm. but at the same time having no term limits also it's like this legacy politics it's like one person or one family can stay in the office in the position for years for decades with no change and i think that's something that's important with legislation is that change yeah I, you know i'm for I, i'm for whatever the voters vote for um, you know, like when it comes to the Supreme Court, I'm not sure if I'm for term limits, but but I'm I'm against lifetime appointments. Um, 
you know, my 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 thought, you know, especially there's been a lot of debate with uh, Mitch McConnell, um, Diane Feinstein, and, and and sometimes even Joe Biden, um, that uh, you know there should be age limits uh, on politicians. But if if the people are voting them in then the people are voting them in. I, I mean, it's not like they're being thrust upon us against the will of the people. But in this case, I think uh, Mr. Mayor is actually uh, trying to usurp the will of the people because the term limits were voted in by the by the voters back in 2020. So it'll be uh, interesting to see um, what happens with this, especially with the primary um, one week away. I don't know if they would... Um, get him on the ballot that fast or if they would um, move the election, especially for him. And uh, there will be no classes or exams on the campus of Michigan State University February 13th as the school pauses to remember the one-year anniversary of the mass shooting that killed three students and injured five other people. Now, the campus itself will remain open to support students and the community, but instead of classes, there will be a remembrance event, uh, details of which are still coming together uh, and as for the two buildings where these shootings happened, the MSU Union, uh, where one student was shot and killed, has since been reopened in Berkeley Hall, which is a classroom building, essentially, where uh, seven other students were shot, two of which were killed. That's been closed since the shooting, and the university hopes to have it opened by the falls. First thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Former Attorney General candidate Matt DiPerno and former state rep Dyer Rendon are facing some uh, pretty significant jail time after being charged with trying to illegally gain access to voting machines. Former Director of Elections Chris Thomas discusses the charges with Paul W. Smith on Focus. Well, you know, we watch this uh, parade of uh, charges against the former president, Donald Trump, and whether you support him or not, or maybe used to support him and don't anymore, you want things to be fair, and you also don't want them to be you know, basically wasting our money, which is what uh, Coach Beard is doing now. That's what I call this uh, new prosecutor. And I swear to you, if you, you ever watch Ted Lasso, you look at a picture of this guy, this uh, guy doing the prosecuting, the federal guy. Uh, what's his real name? It's like Jack Smith or something, not to be confused with the great Jack Smith that ran uh, General Motors. This is uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith. But really, that's not the best picture in today's, today's today's Detroit News. Yesterday's was a little better, where you'd look at him and you could not help but say, oh, my gosh, it's Coach Beard from Ted Lasso. But anyway, uh, all jokes aside, but most of this is a joke, and when you have NBC, the network, so obviously editing the video they showed in the news last night and taking out the line where the president said, Quote, I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. That will be in this latest trial because, well, because there are two sides as opposed to the one-sided institutional media. And this guy's got his hands full, Coach Beard. Meanwhile, it reaches all the way to Michigan, though. And that's why Chris Thomas is here, who retired in 2017. He was Michigan's director of elections for 36 years. And now, of course, the news about Matt DiPerno and ex-representative Dare Rendon are now being charged in the Michigan voting machine probe that's all tied in 
to former President Donald Trump. Uh, Chris Thomas, welcome in. I'm Paul W. Smith. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Paul W. It's a pleasure to be with you. Tell me, from your perspective, and nobody else has your perspective, as Michigan's Director of Elections for 36 years, kind of sum up what we've been going through the last few well, it's something, of course, I never saw in my tenure where <clears throat> one candidate and uh, supporters have denigrated the electoral process uh, to the extent that they have. Uh, I always experienced both Republicans and Democrats supporting the electoral system, and if they had a problem with it, they proposed legislation and, and things were adjusted or changed. But what's going on now is just one total misinformation, uh, lies about how elections are conducted, and their repeated ad nauseum over the last three years and it's really doing damage, unfortunately, to the confidence that voters have in the system. And I can't find the support for the claims. Uh, I always looked when I was director and claims were made. We took them seriously. We looked into them to see if there was any substance. Uh, I have looked into these claims as best I can that have been made over the last three years. I can't find anything there. There's no there there. There's a lot of rhetoric and a lot of conspiracy and great stories. They might make great TV shows somewhere, but it's just not true. And and I'm I'm trusting you. You weren't a part of this, so you're not trying to cover up for mistakes that you might have felt happened on your watch. You retired in 2017, but with your expert eye, you look, you read, you investigate, and you don't see any of this. Now, I, as of even today, from friends who have their own ideas about all of these things, one just wrote a quote. A national expert in criminal forensics completed a report into the 2020 election in Michigan and has found further evidence of chronic systemic voter fraud, especially among absentee ballots in that challenged election. The firm is Speckin Forensics, and they have wide national experience testifying in criminal trials through their investigation where they were allowed limited access to the 2020 ballots in Wayne County, which covers Detroit, they found a significant number of absentees in different precincts illegally had no signed ballot application. Many absentee ballots had no request whatsoever. It, it, this goes on and on and on. Why do right. you think this persists? Why do you think this continues? Well, it's become an industry. It's a small industry. There's money floating around in it. Um there are they're believers. Look, I don't doubt that these people believe this, you know, but that doesn't make it true. And it just keeps going on and on. Our system is set up. We have recounts. We had a deadlines for recounts. Those long past. Uh, there's full ability to recount that election where they could have gone into any jurisdiction they wanted to and looked at ballots, looked at a lot of materials, 
to allay any fears they have or to get a more correct count if they think that's what was necessary. I, they didn't do that. So it's like, and now here we are three years later and they're rummaging through, I don't know what they're rummaging through, and it's it's over. It's done. 20 is over. And these election officials, they've got a huge slope to climb for next year, and that's where their focus needs to be is 2024. Well, I do appreciate your expertise and your weighing in with your observations. We do appreciate it. Chris Thomas retired in 2017. He was the Michigan Director of Elections for 36 years. And we do appreciate your expertise. What do you, I, I have very little time. What are you doing? What are you up to these days? Oh, I'm still uh, consulting a little bit and uh, keep my foot in the water. I'm with the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington. And uh, so it's, it's good to be involved. Well, and it's good to have you on WJR. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Paul W. Chris Thomas, as we continue on this beautiful day, and if you can't be with us uh, during our regular time period, well, I'll tell you how you can join us later. A Michigan man who is attempting to swim across Lake Michigan from, from Milwaukee to Grand Haven had to be pulled from the water 10 miles into his 82-mile trek. Jim the Shark Dryer, he's a 60-year-old ultramarathon swimmer, and he actually made the swim uh, for the first time 25 years ago. He was attempting it again uh, because he was trying to raise money for the Coast Guard. But dangerous lake conditions and fuel-related issues with the boat that was following him forced Dreyer to be pulled from the water for safety reasons. But you can still donate to Jim's cause at our Twitter or X page, whatever it's called, at WJR Radio. Former President Trump is expected in a D.C. courtroom this afternoon after uh, being indicted on four charges of trying to overturn the 2020 election. Matthew Schneider is the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, and he goes through the charges with Lloyd Jackson and Guy Gordon on J.R. Morning. The breaking news yesterday, as anticipated, the special counsel, Jack Smith, bringing a four-count felony indictment. Some of those penalties as high as 20 years for the former president. One charge to defraud the United States, a second, actually two counts uh, to obstruct an official government proceeding and a third to deprive people of civil rights provided by federal law or the Constitution. That kind of gets to the heart of, in some states, depriving people of having their vote counted. Uh, One of the allegations strikes very close to Michigan, and that involves uh, activities where some individuals... Uh, in, I think encouraged by the president, though that tie will be difficult to prove, where they carried out this alleged scheme to overturn the election by uh, organizing a false slate of electors. And four Michigan residents have already been charged with that in state charges stemming from the state attorney general. Uh, Matthew Schneider is our good friend. He is the leader of investigations in white-collar defense practice at Honigman Law and our former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, where he was a Trump appointee. Matthew, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, so in the third paragraph from the get-go, Jack Smith says this, that Mr. Trump, quote, had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome-determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. So I guess my question to you, if he has that right, and I think his attorneys will say he also has an obligation, 
where did he cross the line into criminal speech or criminal behavior? Well, that is the entire theory of the case. It's all about what the president said and what he knew and what his intent was. And the theory behind all of these charges was what the prosecution, what Jack Smith is trying to say is, your top advisors told you that you had lost the election, and you knew that the evidence was that you lost the election. But instead of agreeing with those advisors, you decided to tell people that the, uh, a bunch of lies, that these were false statements, and therefore I actually did win the election. And then, then he tried to gain an office that he wasn't entitled to, knowing all of that. This is really actually quite difficult to prove the intent because you have to look inside the president's mind and you have to second guess the legal advice that he was getting. And he certainly has a, a defense here that he was relying on other people. And so this is definitely not a slam dunk case. If you were going to rank this case, the Mar-a-Lago documents case would come first as the strongest case. This one would probably be behind that for sure. And then after that is that New York case. But uh, this is definitely not the strongest one that Jack Smith has brought. You know, um, uh, Matthew, just playing devil's advocate here, you know, on the Democrat side, they've challenged certification of past elections. Were they guilty of fraud? So it's not just about challenging a certification. It's about how he did it. And I, I'm not trying to take a side on that. I'm just saying that that's what the evidence is being laid out. It, is, it's being laid out that the president committed the fraud by by hearing his advisors and uh, and not believing them. Now, the counterpoint to that is a lot of presidents don't believe their top advisors. Uh, President Lincoln, uh, LBJ, FDR, they were pretty famous for this. Mm -hmm. They believed other people. They had outside lawyers. So that's really his defense is he could say, I didn't have to follow these people. I didn't believe Bill Barr, but I did believe John Eastman, my outside advisor. And you're going to have to prove it to me that that's the wrong theory. And that's why that's difficult to overcome. Well, it's also saying, look, there are legal avenues of challenge. There are recounts. There are permissible court challenges. There are lawsuits and avenues you can take. But once you've exhausted those or after you've lost, you must stand down. And I think that's the difference between what Trump did and what Democrats have done. Um, in, in the past, we know that one of the, the star witnesses here is going to be Mike Pence and perhaps Attorney General Bill Barr, those that will testify that Mr. Trump was told repeatedly that he had lost the election and that there was no fraud to be found. Um, and also that there was this incredible pressure campaign. It is Are they going to be the stars here? And might we see some folks from Michigan as well, a, a former Senate minor, a Majority Leader Mike Shirky? Certainly. Mike Shirky was uh, mentioned, and so was the former Speaker of the House in the indictment, not by name but by title, as witnesses to this conduct, and we could very well see them. We could also see these co-conspirators. Remember, they're unnamed, but six people are unnamed, including what appears to be Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Jeff Clark. And Usually, John Eastman, who kind of... And, created exactly. this this legal scenario where Mr. Pence could overturn the election. Exactly. And any time you have co-conspirators who are involved in a case, it's entirely possible that they could come forward and testify, whether or not they're charged or not. They could also be part of this case. Matthew, you know, it seems like all of these events in the indictment uh, led up to January 6th, but he's not charged with insurrection uh, regarding 
January 6th. I'm, I was looking for something like seditious conspiracy or something like that. Nothing, none of that is in this indictment. That's correct. He's not charged with seditious conspiracy. That crime requires an element of force. However, stay tuned because in the Mar-a-Lago case, an indictment was brought and then additional charges were brought after more evidence was collected. It is entirely possible that this is not the end of the road for the charges in this case. He's been indicted. He could very well be brought, uh, indicted again through what's called a superseding indictment, and more charges could, could come after more of these witnesses come forward and more evidence is presented. Uh, the the Wall, uh, Wall Street Journal editorial board has been certainly highly critical of Donald Trump's behavior around the 2020 election. Uh, they, they, they have given him no quarter on yet. Unless they, they raise some what they think are troubling legal consequences about this regarding free speech, but also a president's duties. They cite this case, Nixon versus Fitzgerald, in 1982, uh, that shows the president is entitled to absolute immunity from damages predicated on his official acts. Now, that was a civil issue, not criminal. But can you make the argument? And I want to hear from uh, John Laurel. This is one of the president's uh, attorneys who kind of laid out a preview of their defense, saying this is about free speech, but also about execution of policy, and that the president had a duty and obligation, if he thought there was wrongdoing, to follow up on it. Cut six. So now we have the criminalization and the weaponization of public policy and political speech by one political party over another. And it's not surprising when it comes. It comes on the heels of unbelievable allegations against uh, Mr. Biden and, and his son, as well as the fact that Donald Trump is, is leading in the polls right now. So can he claim under Nixon Fitzgerald that he has immunity and, and how persuasive will those defenses be? Well, I believe that there'd be other cases another line of cases that would be more helpful to him. So that really is based in a civil theory. Since this is a criminal charge, the U.S. Supreme Court has decided a number of cases regarding criminal fraud and providing honest services to the government. And they've essentially said that when it's fraud, fraud usually means that you're trying to obtain by trick some sort of benefit that is typically financial. That's really not what was going on here. The president was trying to obtain an office that's not a financial position. He does have arguments that this was First Amendment free speech. Now, that's going to run into a buzzsaw of, yeah, the First Amendment protects free speech, but not necessarily lies. And the Constitution, the Supreme Court once said, it's not a suicide pact. It doesn't cover everything. And I think the prosecution will really try to add up all of these statements that the president said that really were false and will say that that in the totality of the circumstances, that's going to out over, overwhelm your First Amendment defense. It, it's a tremendous amount of legal wrangling on each side, yeah. and it's going to take some time. Probably won't know this before Election Day. Well, there's also this concept of willful ignorance, that in spite of mountains of Lawsuits that you've lost, recounts, canvassing that happened, leading officials within your administration that came to you and said there was no fraud, you chose not to believe it. This idea of, of willful ignorance will be tested as well. Matthew, as always, we thank you for your expertise. And uh, as you point out, it, this is going to be tougher sledding than perhaps the other legal challenges that the former president faces. Have a great morning, Matthew. Matthew Schneider, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now with Honigman Law breaking down the uh, Trump indictment charges.
Uh, we'll get you ready for JR Morning in a little bit. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right, so I've been trying to get to the story all week, but uh, as you know, the news cycle gets away from us. And Lloyd, I know you're a big fight fan. Yep. I, I think this is good news for fight fans. It, it looks like the um, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg cage match um, is not going to happen what? anytime soon. Uh, I guess Reuters obtained audio from a meta company town hall where Zuckerberg uh, is heard telling employees he doesn't think the fight is going to happen. And there's no specifics. It just sounds like talks have not gone anywhere. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means they haven't talked about it yet. Well, well, Mark seems like he still wants to fight, though, right? He's the MMA guy. Yeah, he still wants to do it. So, but is, may, maybe is it Elon's problem. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's worried that uh, you know he's supposed to be this MMA guy, and if he gets beat by Elon Musk, it might uh, <laughs> might make him look like a punk. Yeah, maybe. Um. Oh no, that would never happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> He, nobody would accept that. Well, also, he's a tough guy. You know, some people think he's a cyborg alien. So I didn't know they had. I didn't know they had fears. But uh, you know, talking about cage matches, I am looking forward to six forty nine on the show. We're going to be talking to Michael Martinez from the Automotive News about the uh, the member demands that uh, UAW President Sean Fain revealed on a local uh, on a recent uh, Facebook live stream. And uh, we want to work 20 percent less than we have been, but we want to get paid more. Yep. Yeah. And here's we some, want that. We want that 32 hour week. Well, and he, even he admitted that these uh, asks are kind of audacious. So he wants uh, they want to propose the 32 hour work week um, and the multi tiered wage system. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. Uh, they want to bring back the job banks. And, and, and from what I understand, the job bank, which was. Um, uh, eliminated back in 2009. That that was something where if your job was eliminated, they would pay you to kind of just do odd jobs until they found you something else. And we right? had guys at plants playing cards. So oh, yeah. you had to show up. Yep. So guys uh, honing their poker skills. Uh, I mean, the, the jobs bank was a, a guaranteed income program was what yeah. it yep. was. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I I see Sean Fain kind of being like Chris Chelios or Bob Probert. You you hate him if you're playing against him, but you you, you really like him if, if he's, he's on, on your team. team. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, and look, it's it's the nature of negotiations that both sides start at extremes and then you work your way to the middle. And so you ask for the moon and you know, right. you ask for the stars, maybe you get a piece of the moon. Yeah. Well, and that was my next question for you. You know, how much of these, like I said, self-proclaimed audacious uh, um, requests are just uh, negotiating tactics or opening gambits? And I think a lot of it is that. But I also think the members, you know, are listening to Sean Fain and watching him and expect certain things. And, you know, if if he caves at the end or doesn't get a lot of the stuff, then they're going to look at it looking in very Right. Are you creating expectations yes. or, 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 or writing checks you're not going to be able to cash? Right. And, I mean, I, I kind of put some of that in the same bucket as uh, we're going to build a wall and we're going to get Mexico to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. right. Nobody believes that it's true. Everybody knows it's garbage. But you know it sounds good to the to the it's, it's red meat to the, the to, to the base the, to the base yeah so you know that's it's it's really kind of what it is yeah I mean if Sean Fain can can actually come through and get uh, some some of these demands majority of these demands met he'll be a legend but yes, yeah um, I, I can see you know if he can accelerate if he can bring get back cola which is big, it, big. which is big yeah if he can get an accelerated 
pace to get to top wage. I think mm-hmm. it's eight years now, yeah, and it used to be significantly shorter. I think those are major gains. Mm-hmm. They, they, that they, I mean, they will they'll, they'll carry yeah. him through the town square on their shoulders if he gets that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thirty-two hour work week. I think that that is probably going to be one of the the tougher asks. And I think that's going to be one of the ones that if he doesn't come through, people will be a little bit more forgiving of. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, what's the uh, what's the old negotiating tactic? You you ask for more that, than you want and then work backwards yep. to, to work yeah. where you actually want to be. That's it. Um, so if I were to ask you guys, and I'm kind of put you on the spot, but off the top of your head, um, what you think the most dangerous intersection in Michigan is, at, at least under – uh, with your own experience, what would it be? I I would say telegraph under I ninety four because they have these weird turn lanes where it it's looks like, weird. Yeah, and you look like you're you're going to get into a head on collision right. every time. Wait, wait, where's that? Ninety four and telegraph. Yeah, underneath you know that big blue bridge. The big blue bridge. You, you kind of drive oh, under that. You know, old, only because when you're headed east, you really don't know where the lines are. Right. And, and making that turn to the north. Right. Yeah. I I agree. It's a really confusing intersection. It's almost like you like you guys are just coming at each other. I know. I know. Yeah. And and uh, so our friends at Michigan Auto Law, they, they took a look at police records and they compiled a list of the most dangerous intersections by the amount of crashes. And I'm surprised that that is not on this list. Uh, at all? At all. At least not in the top 20. Okay, okay. Um, now, one interesting thing about this list is that, you know, there's more roundabouts, and statistically roundabouts are... are, are I are, can't add roundabouts. You know, it takes a little getting used you to it. Get, I, I yeah. guess you got to get used to yeah. it and stuff. But well, it's, Do you know what? It, 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 the problem isn't the roundabout. The problem is the people in the roundabout that don't know no, how, how to, to use the roundabout. Right. That's and, it. And, 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 and so, you know, I mean, I've, I've traveled in Europe. Where people know what the heck they're doing, they're wonderful. Yeah. yeah if you know what you're doing, yeah. yeah but most people right. <laughs> are stopping in, tw- in the middle. In 20 years, they'll be wonderful. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about this is that only three of the top 20 intersections are roundabouts. But three of them are in the top 10. Two of them are in the top five. Uh, tele- I'll uh, Top five real quick. Number five, Telegraph at 12 Mile. Number four, 18 and a half in Van Dyke. Three, Roundabout Martin Parkway at... Uh, North Pontiac Trail, that's in Commerce Township. Schoolcraft Road at Telegraph in Redford. And the number one most dangerous intersection in uh, Michigan is 11 Mile at 696 and Van Dyke in Warren. So, hmm. no, just okay. stay off Telegraph. Yeah. That's what I, I was just going to say. Telegraph yeah, is bad. Stay off yeah. But you're safe, uh, you're safe under the bridge over 94, which <laughs> completely stumps me. Uh, we'll be back.